You are listening to a podcast produced by the Design Institute of Australia, supported by Fisher & Paykel. The DIA is the peak industry body for professional designers, representing Australian designers both here and internationally. We exist to help Australia's professional designers succeed in business and enjoy their working lives while collectively growing Australia's reputation as a design nation. Welcome to The Social Kitchen, conversations on food and design in a changing world. Fisher and Paykel have collaborated with the Design Institute of Australia on this podcast to connect interesting and insightful Australian designers with designers globally to better understand the role and process of design in a changing world. My name is Gavin Campbell, President of the Design Institute of Australia, and today I'm joined by three guests, Jack McKinney, Jaron Ansley, and Adele Winteridge. Jack McKinney is a New Zealand architect and has been practising architecture for 20 years or so. He has become one of the leading architects in New Zealand with sculptural and bold housing designs, including the Home of the Year winning project from 2018. Jack also works in hospitality and bespoke commercial retail work. So Jack has an insight into how people socialise, how they connect and how they move through spaces. Jaron is chief designer for Fisher & Paykel. He's been with the company for about 12 years or so. Jaron started product design, but as kitchen displays and store fit-outs and their own experience centres became more essential, he has become a central figure in how that design and brand piece has supported Fisher & Paykel's premium global positioning. Adele Winteridge is the director of Full Scap Studio with degrees in interior architecture and then an MA in sustainable development for built environment. And Adele has worked across public domain, hospitality, residential and high-end workplace projects. So welcome everybody. Thank Thanks you for, for joining us. us today. Thank you. My first question, I suppose just to start this off, is do you think there will be a change in how people interact in public spaces? Or will it just return to the old norm? And we're looking at, I suppose, hospitality, retail, workplace, and workplace probably staff hubs, et cetera. So maybe, Adele, could you start off the conversation, please? Sure. Thanks, Gavin. Yes, um, look, I think uh, fundamentally we are social beings and um, gathering to, together um, in public realm and in these hospitality environments, I, I think it really comes back to a basic need as humans. So designing more kind of human-centric um, spaces will always mean that we have communal elements. So I guess, you know, everything that surrounds the idea of um, a social space is, is, really, is really kind of what we're talking about here. I think, you know, fundamentally, um, you know, if we're talking about a hospitality environment, for instance, for instance, I think there will be, and there, there has been, we've seen kind of shifts within that. But I do think, you know, I don't think it, it will really be necessarily design uh, an impact on how we ne necessarily design these spaces. It's, it's probably more a cultural shift that I think we're, we're seeing more of. So, you know, I guess there is a reinvention of hospitality. And I think, you know, to, to a certain point that needed to happen. Um, we, you know, like a lot of the things that we're seeing come out of COVID, the, these things kind of a, a, our hand our hand is being forced. And I guess we spend so much time um, of late in the digital realm 
and away from that physicality and connection with people. So I think, you know, coming out of this, we're really going to kind of want to get back to that. Um, but it will be, as I said, I think it will be a bit of a cultural shift. So um, how do these kind of hospitality environments start to um to kind of come out of this, I think there's going to be, you know, a, maybe a decentralisation of hospitality, so more in regional um, areas connected closer to people working from home and these kind of hybrid spaces. I think that um, that also there'll be kind of, you know, really short-term impacts on the workplace as well as these hospitality spaces like kind of antibacterial finishes, filtration systems, it may be a delineation between interior and exterior, you know, this idea of a threshold. We've been looking at this um, actually with a workplace environment that we're, we're currently designing and what is this, this idea of, you know, a threshold? They do a lot in, um, in kind of Asian cities where you come in and you take your shoes off before you enter a space. How can we kind of, how can that space be explored so that, so that we kind of start to see a delineation maybe and and um I guess the other thing with hospitality and is this idea of health and well-being and food and beverage is really at the heart of that I think as as kind of healing tools so how do we how you know how do we kind of start to um socialize in these hospitality environments and really kind of focus on 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 that as well Aaron how would um how are Fisher and Pike responding to this what changes have you come across or how are you thinking in the last few months? Have, have you changed the way you're thinking about design or what do you think the processes might be? Um, the processes might be. Um, look, I think what we're beginning to do is spend a lot more time thinking about our, our current customer, but probably more importantly, our future customer. And depending on what environment we're designing for, um, there may be several um, future customers. So we're beginning to try and understand who they are and, and what type of experience they might want to have depending on what we're designing for. So some of the some of the key things that we're looking at and, and trying to understand is, is what they're doing, what are they seeing, what are they thinking when they're moving through these spaces, and how are they feeling? And I think I think Adele's right. I think there is going to be a cultural shift. And I think by you know, understanding these things, you're going to evoke emotion. And I think when evoking emotion, you'll, you'll also evoke, evoke the senses and ultimately create something that is, that is memorable, um, create something that people are going to talk about, create something that's going to be um, shared on um, social networks um, like Instagram and the likes. And I, I think if you can, if you can achieve or get a result from that formula, you're going to be really successful. So they're the types of things that we're considering now because I think, um, you know, it's beyond just bricks and mortar and selling environments. We really need to understand the customer and make it feel really memorable for them. Yeah. Yeah, Jack, maybe you'd like to comment. I mean, what we're talking about is probably the experience is as much emotional and about well-being it's about probably reconnecting with nature in different ways um, as well as connecting with um, family or colleagues in, 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 a, different, in a different format. How, how, how do you see it going moving forward? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, New Zealand, we've had a couple of weeks of 
what we call level one, which is really, you know, not, not great uh, limitations on any kind of social gathering. And it was interesting to anticipate what might come of that. Um, hospitality clients, I think, trying to run a viable business were worried that people might not want to sit in a uh, crowded bar or, or restaurant. But we've actually seen that people are craving a little bit of um, human interaction. So maybe some of those um, phobias aren't, aren't there. But um, I I think what might change more is a change to the um, work environment with working from home becoming a new norm. And that might have a, a bit of a demographic change. There seems to be a bit of um, suburbs are a bit more active than the centre of the city now. So like the sort of changes like, like that that are occurring. But what that might also mean um, is obviously in terms of social spaces within the workplace, that, that would be an interesting discussion, but also bringing people together in a hospitality environment, suddenly that has a lot more um, intensity as a, as a social experience when you've, you know, maybe been sitting in your house all day. So um, I think there's an opportunity there to uh, uh, sort of extend, extend the hospitality a bit more broadly. Um, I mean, this design of restaurants is always changing a little bit to reflect culture. Um, I think there's a shift away from um, certainly here in Auckland, uh, fine dining and formality, and there's an embrace of, you know, quality food and environments, but with flexibility and kind of a very uh, demographically welcoming uh, flavour to them. So that, yeah, I think it's more that, yeah, it's, yeah losing track tra- tra- of my thoughts here, but um, that's probably the major shift, I think, is going to be the shift to, to workplace dynamics, not, not phobia about going out and eating. That's what we're seeing at the moment. Yeah, and I think maybe what do you think about this, that we're learning from maybe hospitality and probably having to try and put that into workplace, you know, especially like the breakout areas and things like that. They're definitely going to become very important to social interaction and probably the well-being of the individual, the employees and or the business. So we have it's the rethinking of how that might work, I suppose, and maybe lessons learned from, from other industries like hospitality. Yeah, well, if we imagine more people working from home and we're starting to see a demand for that and then uh, office floor plates are smaller and maybe people are only getting together intermittently as a, as a team. And so the whole culture of a business really depends on the success of those interactive environments and maybe the work environment is somewhere where you go to interact and be part of an office culture rather than just a place to sit and work which has some, you know, somewhere to hit your lunch attached. So I think it could actually uh, be quite a big shift towards a more hospitable uh, workplace in a way, yeah, and some of those kind of um, more flexible spaces to interact in a social way becoming quite central to the workplace environment. Yeah. What do you think, Adele? Is this becoming then more emphasis placed on some of these, um, say, in the office environment, you know, the the breakout areas, the way way Mm -hmm. people interact socially because that's really probably what workplace might become more that connecting that that social connector rather than the work connector because we're doing that from home and we're able to do that from home totally it's such a fascinating thing we're really delving into it at the moment we're working on a um a a co-working space um here in melbourne and yeah look i've been i my and my me and my team have been pretty surprised at how super efficient 
um, the digital space is really. Like look at us right now, we're having this um, this kind of webinar um, and, and also the, the idea that we can disseminate knowledge to lots and lots of people at the same time is pretty kind of amazing and, and it's here to stay for better or for worse. Um, I don't think it's the end of um, the workplace, but I do think it is a, an absolute shift. Uh, yeah, as Jack, as Jack was saying, I think it is that kind of that idea of people sharing their time between um, this, the suburbs which they live in and, and how that kind of impacts social space there, but also the social spaces within, um, within the, the workplace. And um, yeah. it's been like I've, we've just actually come back to the studio and we have, you know, we have a kitchen kind of at the centre and it's like a large kitchen and there's no one in it at the moment. It's only, there's only three of us here. But, um, you know, eventually when we do come back, um, it, it is, it's, I guess it's the purpose of the workplace is what we're kind of talking about and why why to come back because we can do a lot of what we what we have previously done in the workplace at home so then these kind of designing these spaces around um, social interaction like you said culture and I guess community and for these bigger organizations how does that kind of how how do they kind of maintain their 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 work culture Um, and it's it is through these kind of I think definitely through these these social spaces and and I think it's it's we're, we're designing things like Zoom rooms, but we're we're also designing you know the other more collaborative spaces. So these Zoom rooms might be kind of larger with movable um, whiteboards um, to kind of accommodate larger groups, which again you wouldn't be able to do at home. So it's like what what can we do at home, and then what can we what do we need the purpose of these spaces to move to? Um, within within the city or within kind of other place workplace environments, so kind yeah, of I great. guess yeah, those yeah. key kind of spaces and what what is the kind of the pull to them and why why I come to work is is what we're kind of looking at at the moment. It's it's fascinating, well, really. Yeah, and I suppose that's um, a really interesting take on retail as well, isn't it, Jaron? I mean, your your approach to retail is probably being questioned. I don't know whether you were doing that in the past or not, but, you know, you, everybody's able to buy online, probably more reluctant to come into the space. So what is this retail space that you're going to be looking at offering in the future? Will it be more of an experience, which is probably a good thing because it helps to represent the brand as well? And yeah. how will you present, you know, your, your product, basically? Yeah, look, um, yeah, you're quite right. I mean, we went from designing literally hundreds of um, in-store displays to to none because um, those stores weren't open. So um, consumers were no longer able to have an experience in a retail store or a physical experience. So what we were able to do is really quickly adapt and use all that information that we had uh, created for those stores and create a virtual store experience. Um, so, you know, I've got a young team, um, they're really progressive, they're using great software, and so we were able to be really agile and we were able to adapt uh, to those conditions really quickly. And by being able to create a virtual store experience, we were, you know, we were supporting our local retailers in all of our main markets, and we were able to encourage uplift of appliances um, through their online presence, which was um, quite unique. You know, we were the first brand to be able to offer 
um, that experience and that technology, um, at least in Australasia um, and, and on the West Coast in California. So, you know, retailers felt as though they were being looked after, which was great, um, but we're also being um, using our initiative and giving them another tool to be able to sell with, which was great because it's a win-win for both parties. Um, the experience itself was was quite interesting. Um, you know, we basically recreated um, the base build, so, you know, from floor to ceiling. So, you know, that that person, if they were familiar with that store, would feel like they're actually walking through and having that same experience, um, you know, right down to the joinery and, you know, the, the brand logo mark, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we're also able to control the 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 um the tour by the amount of um 360 renders that we created in that space so we could kind of we could we could um, they could tour it themselves but we were able to control what perspectives what angles um they could view not only our display from but but our appliances as well and so there was that level then but beyond that we were able to provide another layer of information so they would click on an appliance, but um, and so more appliance information would be presented to them. Um, but what we were then able to do is create a carousel. So um, we were limited in space for showcasing ovens, for example. In this carousel, they're able to um, view different model ovens. So where we might have only been able to show, um, I don't know, two ovens, we're able to all of a sudden have an endless aisle and for them to be able to view 10 or 12 ovens. And then beyond that, you know, be able to show them solution sets. So different ways of laying appliances out, ovens out, companion appliances out. So we were able to offer them a more enriched experience. Something that so this is all digital, is it? Yeah, this is all digital. This is all right. digital. And this is software that we'd already been using um, and then quickly learned um, some software uh, to help enhance that and, and offer layers um, to it. Um, and, and we learned that in about two weeks' time. And um, we were able to put out, you know, almost 25 digital store experiences, you know, within sort of a month's time. So we, so we reacted really quickly and um, we got some really great results. Is there a risk in that, in that um, by going too digital, I mean, that's what we have to do that at the moment, but you can sort of like lose that customer experience, that edge, that because a lot, a lot of, you know, good design is the experience, it's the tactile, it's the how you interact, and, and you can only do that to a point physically. It's very hard. And then, and then also, it's also a point of differentiation between you and another brand. If everybody's got a similar thing online, it's just your experience at your desk, at the computer almost, or the iPad. So is, is there a risk sometimes in that? And, and then how would you approach that, do you think? Because brand is so important, and it's it's sort of a it's a gut thing almost as much as a physical thing, isn't it? Yeah. Look, I think I think ultimately you want the balance of both. Um, I agree. They want to be able to feel uh, how robust something feels. They want to they want to uh, um, you know have a have a sense or a feeling for what it's like to to hold on to that handle. You know how ergonomic does it feel? Um, what does the lighting look? Um, in, in, in real time and in daylight, um, how do the draw runners slide? Um, are they soft closing? Um, you know, what are the what are the storage structures look like within a refrigerator? So, 
I think I think there needs to be a balance of both. I, I don't think digital are going to be able to tick all the boxes, but I think it's going to go a hell of a long way to tick many of them. But I think that tactile, that hands-on interaction, it, there's still going to be a place for that. It just may be it just may be less often. Um, for 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 example, you may have had a a Fisher and Piper refrigerator before, so you trust the brand. You know how it feels. Um, you understand the design, you, you, you like their, uh, their ethos, um, so you may only need that digital lens to convince them or convert them into a purchase. The Design Institute of Australia is the leading advocate for design in Australia. We champion design excellence and strive to develop design literacy in the broader community. The DIA regularly engages with government and fosters collaborations for designers across a broad stakeholder group. We support designers to improve their competency to design ethical and sustainable responses to complex local and global issues. For more information, go to design.org.au or follow the link in our show notes. You know, over the last few months, we've all been isolating and I think we've sort of recentered and started to reevaluate our priorities, both individually and as, and as groups, you know, businesses, groups or whatever, collectively. And, um, you know, it's, 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 you know, what are our priorities and values? You know, what, what, what is, is buying that new product important or is, you know, staying at home with a family or learning a, a new hobby or going for walks? You know, we've, we've all sort of, I think, enriched our lives to some degree. I think a lot of that's dependent on whether you've had children at home or not by, by a lot of the stories that are going around. So I think, you know, we're starting to look at more of the human-centric and the nature-centric approach to design, which has been you know, certainly been around for a while and people have been looking at it. It's something that's close to my heart. I did a lot of work in healthcare where you're looking at biophilia and the effect of nature on the human um, psyche, I suppose, and, and, and well-being and the ability to sort of um, get better quicker, you know, and to improve. Do you, do you see um, that this situation of the last few months has sort of um, accelerated or made more interest in that area, you know, in design, in your approach to design or other people's approach to design? Um, I think a lot of people have been stuck in their homes and then uh, evaluating how much their home provides back back to them. So I think that's a big rethink for, for a lot of people. Um, and uh, I think it's made us want, want a bit more from, from our home environments as well in terms of, you know, it's not just sort of, uh, it has to be more of a, complete world yeah which responds to you know true human values I mean that's those are always the things I have in my mind when I'm designing anyway it's just space and light yeah. and you know connection to the outside and all that sort of stuff but yeah it was really put to the test wasn't it by, <laughs> by not being able to go anywhere for weeks on end and trying to accommodate multiple types of uh, things going on in, inside a kind of a confined space so I guess just to kind of extend that idea that the workplace might change a bit and become a bit more social. I think, yeah, the home space has to maybe, I think we're going to be aware that they need to be adaptable and sort of multi-purpose, you know, the kitchen's not just for dinner anymore. You might sit there and have your Zoom call in the morning and, you know, it's just getting all those layers. So it's just exposed, I think, the value of design, you know, well-designed spaces and things that are well-designed worked well and, um Obviously, shortcomings would have been found, you know, where they where they where they were. Um, yeah, values. Yes, definitely. I think, um, yeah, uh, you know, human values came out on top, and a, a bit of a sense of camaraderie and 
community and you know social values in that sense. Um, you'd like to think that would last, but um, yeah, you know, it's, time will tell. Will we slide back into our old consumerist ways? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, what, what do you think, Adele? Do you think um, it, it, this is also an opportunity, I suppose, for us to really be pushing the mm. um, the quality, the, the the real value of design? Um, mm. You know, as as Jack pointed out, th- those it's it's good design. You know what we're talking about. That's right. It's design that we've actually been doing in the background for a while, and there are trends that come and go. Um, yeah. But obviously, it's a real opportunity for designers as a whole and the design institute to help along that process as well to yeah. really push the value of design and what we can get out of it. And it's not just about a product. It's not about the end result. It's not about keeping up with the Joneses or getting the newest kettle or something like that, is it? It's about value. It's about value. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that age-old thing where we talk about that idea of the journey, really, um, and not the destination almost. Um, and I feel like that, you know, that's definitely what this, this it's been a circuit breaker and, um, and this idea of um, a, a slowing down. And I think, um, you know, I, I'm, part of me is really like, I really want to get back into this. It's like I've really enjoyed um, how um, our industry has, has slowed or all the industries have slowed and us stepping back and taking a, a look at, at, at what we're doing, um, you know. And I think, you know, coming back to that idea of, um, you know, mental health, I think, is a, is a huge one that's come out of this and that slowing down and that idea of, um, you know, how our spaces can impact can impact that um, to a tiny little apartment that you're working in, working from home in, to kind of, you know, larger work environments, to, to restaurants. Like, you know, how, what is the impact that design can have on, on our well-being um, and I know Joe Kellogg always talks about this, this, this idea of wellness. Um, but more and more, I think that's that's a huge thing coming out of this. It's definitely a thing that's going to impact um, the way we move forward. And and I guess another huge huge one that um, is sustainability. And we've been talking about this for a very long time, but our industry um, hasn't really been doing much about it, I don't think. And so, how can we um, use this? specifically in you know um in all you know in every sector how do we kind of use this as a focus lens to start thinking about that as well um so you know they're the bigger things and like you were saying that connection to nature um you know i guess that comes with having say two more hours in the day and not being in transit and so what you know what have we done with those two more hours well we're cooking um we're taking care of our families and we are in nature um, you know, that's what I've been doing. And um, how can that, you know, how can we hold on to that? Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. And um, I think, um, I mean, you, you raised a, a few interesting points there, and particularly one about sustainability, because we tend to, um, with sustainability, tick boxes at the moment yeah. and not understand that it's, um, there's a lot more to it than that. You know, we, we should actually be designing and building products that actually last. You know, you, you can tick a box and say, oh, it's sustainable because we're using these products or these processes. But at the end of the day, it may still only last a year or three. So, um, and, I, and I think intrinsically that's what designers need to focus on. That's our role and responsibilities to lead and, and to show the true value of product, I suppose, or process, what the end result is. You know, it is... Um, you know, you should buy something once, really, for as long as you can. Yeah. Keep it for as long as you can. Yeah. 
And I suppose, um, Jaron, you know, looking at Fisher and Pipel, that um, your your approach, I suppose, would be along similar lines, looking at products that have, you know, an extended life cycle as opposed to something short term. You know, so it's about the user experience and it's about the products that you use. Would that be right? Oh, absolutely. And you know, we're we're we've always talked a lot about designing for a changing world. And I think, you know, um, sustainability is a. I think it'll be a movement of our time, and I think it's a responsibility that every designer has, and they should be really mindful of that. Um, a lot of we're also really aware that technology is radically shaping the way we live as well, so we're beginning to consider that. Um, we're also considering healthy living as a new luxury. So, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of key things in that changing world that we are considering. Um, regarding the sustainability, um, it needs to be enduring and it needs to be, last as long as it can, like to your point. Um, but I think there's a lot of other things that the business can do through product and uh, globally that we can do to, to support that. And, you know, we do things from recycling programs. Um, we continue to uh, reduce our energy and water consumptions in, in our products. Um, we uh, continued efforts to also relook and readdress manufacturing and new product design. Um, we're committed to minimising our environmental footprint, um, and our goal is continually to reduce our emissions. Um, and it's been really interesting with you know being in you know various different levels of COVID. Um, you know the the. We, we obviously no one's been able to travel, so we've had to rely on technology to stay in communication with our offshore markets, and and every area of the division, every area of the business has had to do that. So it's had a really positive effect on the environment, and and maybe something that will be considered beyond this to reduce our footprint. Yeah, there's there's been a lot um, that we've been forced into, and um, you know. You're talking about travel, for instance, things like that, which have been massively increased in some cities, particularly, you know, the uh, the air quality and, uh, you know, the lack that the, we're using much less petrol and fuel, you know, to get around. So there's some real issues there. But these, it's, I think it's up to us as designers when we're looking at workplace or house design, retail, hospitality to almost have these in the back of our mind as well. There's there's an awful lot to consider in a sense. It's, it's this spider's web of intrigue almost and, and variables. But um it's it's still about good design, isn't it? It's about looking at not just the end result, but looking at the the processes and all the effects through that. I said, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I think every every aspect of the process needs to um, to consider sustainability. It needs to consider the environment, and ultimately be gentle on the planet. Um, is a really good philosophy to go by. Yeah. How do you feel about this, uh, Jack? Sustainability. Yeah, the I suppose the, um, you know, we're, we're sort of slightly going off track from, you know, the, the social aspect of it. But to me, it, it, it's all part of the community. It's almost like we've been talking about circular design, circular economy. That's So it is about the society we live in, the culture we have, um, the social aspect to that. Um, so you're, what's your opinion? your understanding of sustainability in that sense. You know, as I was saying, we, we tend to tick boxes a lot. In the building industry, it's very common, you know, to it started off with the green side, you know, 10, 15 years ago and 
ticking boxes. But now, you know, as designers, we know we can do better quite often. The spaces we design can be better, the processes and products we use. Yeah, and the building process is so wasteful, isn't it? You know, you see all these yeah. skips full of offcuts and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I guess uh, we really have to find clever ways to make buildings that are is less wasteful as well. It was um, so. Yeah, I don't think we've we've cracked that yet. But fundamentally, if you are going to expend those um, materials and you know create that process, it should be for a you know really good good outcome. So you know, so I think yeah, the most sustainable thing is um, excellent design that's going to endure and it's going to allow itself to be adapted. You know, like a refrigerator, can you repair it? A house, can you? allow for it to be kind of added on in, in a nice way? Can you anticipate a little bit of flexibility um, whilst, you know, still creating a great environment? Um, it was, yeah, a lot of people in New Zealand went to the garden store and started planting vegetables and, you know, it was sort of like a return to the 1950s. It was pretty charming. So, you know, maybe we <laughs> need to um, integrate a little bit of that thinking into um, residential design as well. But yeah, it'd be nice for a new paradigm of uh, kind of construction that would support the ethics of sustainability. Because yeah, it's, you know, there's all these skips full of, I don't know, how do we make something without an offcut? That would be the, you know, that would be the great thing to find out. Um, but yeah, yeah using definitely. good using good materials, good products that are going to endure. Sometimes in my alteration work, I come across 50-year Fisher and Paykel <laughs> appliances. It's happened more than once. You know, some amazing old fridge or. An old washing machine. I've seen seen one that's about fifty years old. So, I think the F and P brand has has that at its in its uh, heritage at least. So yeah, it'd be nice to know that the new stuff could, could last that long. And it's not just about trends about ovens or you know how we want to refrigerate things. It's just a really you know uh, well designed thing that will look still look good in twenty years. You know, still function well. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's becoming. Um you know, what do we need a refrigerator for? You know, everyone sort of aspires to get the five, six hundred, seven hundred litre fridge, <clears throat> you know, which is sort of hard to empty every week where if you're looking at fruit and vegetables, you should should probably either, A, if you could grow them or buy them locally and be replacing them every week, you know, because that's where they're, they're freshest. So uh, um, it'd be interesting to see how well we hold on to these values that we're now questioning and sort of debating. Um, sort of realizing things that we may have lost in the past and we have the opportunity to get back just how much of that we'll get back yeah I mean we're you know a couple of weeks in it has actually been sort of uh there wasn't a soft ramp up it was just back to a whole I think all this pent-up demand of people wanting to think about talking about design and architecture in a bit of a flood but I think over time we'll get a better perspective on you know uh what has changed but yeah definitely everyone had a chance to evaluate their lives and how busy they've been and you know what they're prioritizing their time on and um i think there will be re reprioritization and then that will flow through into you know private space workspace public space and um, hopefully you know better better lifestyles for everybody yeah definitely so maybe maybe just to wrap up um there what um what do you think are the lessons that we've learned that we can move forward with? You know, what do you think, um, you know, I suppose, designers can do and should do to, to, to lead this or mm. move forward? It's a, it's a really big question. Good question. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, 
our focus definitely is around, well, like you said, I mean, good design. I mean, how, how do we measure that really? But um, I guess we measure it through, um, through how many people want to be in that space, um, use that space. You know, if we're talking about hospitality spaces, um, you know, in, in work, um, in workplace, it's it's how long people are, are staying and working out of those environments, and you know staff retention, and um, you know people that want to kind of be be working out of those spaces. I guess it's to me, um, and what we've been kind of focusing focusing on, and and this is really a new territory for us, is that um, the design is is kind of measurable, um, and how do we start to think about that? Um, you know, in a, you know, that these experiences, there's, there's, um, there's experiences that you have that you just, that are, are not measurable. And that's, you know, that's amazingly good design. And then there's also kind of measurable things. So we're, our focus kind of coming out of this is how do we, how do we think of those um, together? Um, and how do we start kind of working with those two things? Um, and then I guess just really, you know, working with our clients to produce the best um, outcomes. So really taking that idea of sustainability to our clients. If it's something that a client hasn't brought to us, we will kind of raise it as an idea, um, as an as a approach, as a process, as a way of, um, of designing. Um, and, and likewise, I think, you know, back to that, to that kind of mental health idea is starting to kind of design spaces around that so bringing um kind of in workplace bringing the idea of, of meditation zones or meditation spaces within that so how that um how those those kind of really um mental the mental health aspect of it can um can be impacted by by, by designing you raise you raise some interesting points there and um you know we talk about you're talking about um sort of leading clients and sort of trying to show them the way, which is also about educating, I think. Absolutely, um, yeah. And I, I sort of hate the word educating really because it's, it's, it's almost like a superior sort of term. It's sometimes mm. in context, but um, but it's, it's, it's about showing a way of new opportunities, I think, um, more than educating and, and, and being open-minded, um, being very much, um, uh, yeah, open to learning you know, from, from the experiences we have and moving forward looking at those opportunities. So it comes down then to also... Is, and I know you've been involved a little bit in education, from what I understand, um, with some of the courses, a high-level education. Are we teaching students the right, are we giving them the right tools? Are we explaining to them what a designer is? A designer is, is sort of usually never happy with the end result, you know, um, but quite often we're just trying to reach um, a project completion date and that's the end result and we walk away mm. on to the next one, whereas you know, we, there's always something to learn. There's always something to improve. And there are many examples of that. I mean, you can look at um, uh, Charles and Ray Eames's furniture, how that sort of improved over the years, you know, something that was designed in the 50s and 60s. As, a manu- as manufacturing techniques change, they change the way these things are made. Intrinsically, it looks the same, but it's better. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's improving and learning. Um, yeah. So are, are, we teaching, are we teaching our students the right things are we giving them the right tools and then you know does that then impact on then how we educate or inform our clients and the community you know mm. I think um 
Uh, the education piece is, in, is a really interesting one. Um, and I always see design as just constant. Well, this is what I love about my job so much is that I am constantly learning. I'm still learning every day. Um, and I just don't think it's ever, it's ever done. But the job is never kind of, okay, I've learned everything I need to, um, you know, I'm an expert. It's, it's, um, it's just, it's just absolutely constant. We, we, we have lots of, you know, different clients that come to us. Um, we've just had a new, um, a new client come to us in the kind of um, the, the, the dermatology sphere and I'm just learning so much about that, you know. So, I mean, I don't think that um, it's ever, yeah, the, the job is never ever done. I think a lot, of the, a lot of the kind of graduates that we, that we take on out of, out of um out of university, you know, university's there as a way of teaching people how to think in a way, the process of design. It's the, the, the job of design is something that you learn beyond the, the, the schools of the, the walls of university, I think. And, yeah, definitely. Um, and the, the job of design is, is the tough bit. Um, and, um, and so, you know, I think it's, it's our role as directors um, of companies to be able to, to, to educate almost or to, to, for our teams to, to educate and thrive um, and, and kind of fulfil that, that piece in, in a way. But there's got to be a lot of courage in looking back at what you have done and kind of evaluating how well you did as well. You know, obviously immediately you kind of get a sense of, oh, yeah, that worked or that bit's a bit weird, but also yeah. over time, you know, two years later, five years later, so that you can keep evolving in your practice and making things better i mean i see design as just a it's just an eternal process isn't it it's never really an outcome the outcome is sort of a restaurant or a house or a table or a junction between things but yeah it's that process of design that's a lifelong process but yeah, yeah you're right it's continually evolving and um you're re-educating yourself almost aren't you and, and learning mm. how, how do you see that um jaron you know especially from um fish and Paykel's point of view you know you're about I suppose, informing your uh, prospective purchases of your product, you know, about what it is that separates your product from somebody else's and maybe why that would be better to go down that path. Yeah, look, it's an interesting question. I, you know, and, and Distral is probably a really good example of, of an appliance to talk about. Um, it was designed in, I think, um, the early 1980s. And between now and then, I think we're up to version 11. And, you know, incrementally we've improved on every phase that we've made. And, you know, there's different reasons for why those phases have improved. Um, you touched on one before, uh, manufacturing. Um, you know, there's technology, um, there's advancements in, in mater materials. Um, engineering practices became better. Um, we began to understand more about uh, performance. Um, and, and, and I guess also um, uh, designing around um, the idea of built to last, you know, so sustainably minded and, and you know, if there was to be a fault, it would be just a part change, not a product change that would be required. So not only is that happening across just this straw, but it's happening across all our product categories. Um, so that, that idea, I think, will transpire and ultimately create better appliances that will hopefully um, outlive the, 
the 50-year-old um, washing machine that Jack seems to think he's seeing, which I'd love to see, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, we're still using um, smart drive uh, motor technology, which is something that we used, um, again, in the 80s, which is still being used in our appliances today and ensure that it's the same technology, it's, it's, it's evolved a bit further, but ultimately it's the same technology. So, um, you know, there's some really great innovative uh, ideas that have that have been used um, some time ago, but are still being used today. So I, I think that's that, that's um, you know that's a success story in itself. I mean, we're we're really getting off track um, with what the original topic was, but um, it, it just shows you how um, design is an intrinsic part of everything that we do. I suppose. There is so many things to consider, and it's it's a it's it's not necessarily even a linear journey. It's 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 you know there are so many opportunities and variabilities and options as as you progress. I, I you know I like the fact that you are still using technology from a while ago. It reminds me of you know I've, I've been quite fascinated recently by some of the Apollo eleven um, and thirteen sort of stories. And, um, you know, I even got my daughter to watch The Martian last night. And you look at, you know, um, I don't know if anybody knows that movie, The Martian. Um, uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name now. Um, Matt Damon? The, 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 oh. Matt Damon, yeah, stuck on Mars. And, you know, with, with all the technology, but then really getting down to basic science. You look at Apollo 11, basic science, as well as their cutting edge. You look at Apollo 13, basic science that saved them, you know, just understanding things. And I love that about design is that um, you, you, you can sometimes find the solution in just what is out just outside your front door, basically, or the stuff you learned in primary school even. You know, it, it can be as mm. basic as that. And, and it's being open-minded to that and not being, I suppose, in awe necessarily of technology, but understanding what technology can do, do for you and what, you know, how it can be used and how it should be used to improve the process, to improve the outcome. Um, and, and I think that that covers all design, you know, whether it's, you know, a piece of graphical information through to a built form through to a product. I, and, I, and I really strongly feel that that's the role of the designer to be is that inquisitive and to be that, um, to be thinking in, in that, that way, you know, very, not linear, but, but just looking at all the opportunities, look at all the things around them. Even your experience, Adele, you're talking to, you know, to your recent project and the, the stuff you learned from that, that branch of science in a sense and what mm. you can bring to your practice yeah that is really what design to me is all about so um we, we could carry this on forever I know that um and that's usually what happens with my conversations um so maybe just a quick wrap up from from everybody I'll start with you Adele um you know how how do you feel we are going to move forward from this and what do you think the role of design can be in in a social context and I think well, I'm talking about social uh, everything comes down to us down to us as humans. So social is not just about gathering together in a show social space. It's what we do as a community. That's our society, our culture and our community. Yeah, exactly. Look, I mean, it, design is has such a huge role to play in that. Um, we are facilitating culture in, in a way. That's what design does. So I think, um, you know, coming out of this, as I said, I think um, this has been, um, you know, a really interesting experiment for the human race and it, it's profound because it has affected everybody, um, you know, um, 
with a small or, or, or large scale, um, it's really had an impact on all of us. And so I think it is a chance to, um, to kind of take stock and learn, um, you know, and, and like, like Jack said, you know, maybe it's not this immediate learning, you know, there's these short-term kind of aspects that have come out of this for sure, but what are the kind of the, the longer-term um, impacts is, um, is, is the important thing. And us as designers, as a facilitator, facilitators of culture, um, um, how do we kind of move um, to uh, to use those learnings in in um, in better ways. And that's that is what I'm really interested in. Yeah, and you, Jack? Yeah, I think people are going to ideally live much more integrated lives where there's not just a you're at home and then you're at work and then you're you know on leisure. I think all that's going to blur quite significantly. Aspects of each are going to. Um, be in all of those categories and um, yeah that's got to be a really positive outcome it's hard as a designer because you're saying well you know suddenly there's a lot less specific things and you know flexibility how do you design for that that's quite a tough thing to resolve but that's going to be pretty interesting so I think that will be the big takeaway that um, yeah much more integrated uh, hopefully satisfying you know connected uh, lives with some sort of social responsibility I can see that. Right. Great. And what about you, Jaron? Um, look, I think, I think us as designers, we need to be seen and act progressively, you know, whether it's um, a physical or digital one. I think we need to be open to both those channels um, and embrace them. Um, I think we also need to understand what a changing world means um, and apply that, you know, to, to the projects that we work in. Um, and I think it will also give the insights in which will drive us. Um, and, and, and for that reason, um, I think from that, you'll, you'll also create values. And, and I think if we can understand how to apply those values, um, you'll, you'll get something that's really successful. Um, it can ultimately, um, you know, add value uh, to a changing world um, and make the world a better place. Yeah, definitely. Look, I mean, I, I know that I've learned a lot um, and re-evaluated a lot in the last three months. But one of the, the best outcomes I've had is the, the ability to connect, um, which is, just sounds crazy. But, um, you know, we're connecting from the West Coast of Australia through to the East Coast, through to New Zealand, and having these conversations, which can only broaden and enrich our design lives, I think, um, and our professional lives, you know, the way we look at things. I think that's supremely important. Um, and I think also from a DIA perspective, it's allowing us to connect to members, get ideas. We, we never want to see this as um, an end result. It's a conversation. It's a dialogue that's continually evolving. And it's important to be part of that. So this has given me particularly in the DIA the opportunity to have these conversations every week. Um, and connect this way. So for me, it's been incredibly enriching. And, and, and thank you all so much for um, joining in this conversation. Um, I think it's been quite successful and enlightening. And I wish you all the well um, for the future. And uh, hopefully you come out of lockdown wherever you are soon and, and move forward and we, and we learn some lessons and move, take those opportunities up and, and move forward. So thank you very much. Thanks so much, Gavin. Thanks, thank Gavin. you, Adele. Thank thanks, you, Jack. Yeah. Thanks, Jaron. Okay, bye.
Thank you for listening to this podcast, made possible by the support of Fisher & Paykel. The Design Institute of Australia would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are gathered and all First Nations people on the land now known as Australia. The DIA respectfully recognises Elders past, present and emerging. We celebrate the innovation, creativity and ingenuity of the world's oldest continuing creative culture.